This episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. To save 20% on your Inside Tracker purchase, visit the link in the show notes. Hey everybody, my name is Holly Samuel and I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and of course your podcast host today. On today's solo episode, by popular request, I'm going to be recapping my personal best uh, experience, I guess you could say, at my local half marathon this past weekend, which was the Seacoast Half Marathon in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I pulled um, you guys on Instagram, if you're coming over to the podcast from Instagram, to see if you like these types of recap episodes and if this was something that you wanted me to do for my local half marathon, which happened to be a PR for me. And it was an overwhelmingly, uh, yes, (laughs) please do that answer. Um, which is cool. I honestly love recording these. They're super fun to record. I always appreciate the chance to like reflect on my experience. Um, pretty fresh out of the gate. I did the half marathon yesterday and I am recording it on Monday on Halloween in 2022. So it's good to get it while it's fresh. And I also personally love listening to recap episodes of other people's race experiences, blog posts. Like I love this stuff just as a member of the running community. So I always appreciate, um, you know, reading other people's stuff, but I never know if you guys actually want to hear me talk about my own race experience since this is primarily, you know, an educational platform and not totally about my own experience. Um, so I was excited to hop on here and record and meet your requests. So I also like just as a coach and as a runner, when I do read and listen to other people's like race experiences, whether they're a totally like recreational athlete, new runner, or they're like an elite pro, I feel like I always take something out of those episodes and take something away from them. Like I either learn something that I can apply to my own race experience next time, my fueling plan, you know, maybe just information about a specific race, or I learn like how other people experience races that might be different from me. And that helps me so much as a coach, (laughs) um, coaching other runners too. So let's dive in to this recap episode. So to, of course, you you guys know I'm long-winded. So if you are not here for a recap episode, just, you know, skip over. We're going to have other episodes coming for you soon. But um, of course, I can't just start with the race. I have to go back to the training cycle and what preceded the training cycle. So if you've been listening to this podcast or following me for a while, you probably know the last recap episode I did was for the Boston Marathon in April of 2022. That was the last uh, marathon that I had run, and it was a PR for me. It was a great day, so I did a recap episode, kind of trying to summarize my experience. Um, and basically, I like between Boston and this half marathon, I knew I didn't want to do a fall marathon. I knew that you know I had done a fall marathon last year in 2021 at the Wine Glass Marathon. Also, did a recap episode for that if you scroll way back. And then I had found out that I got into Boston. So I was like, well, cool. I'm going to do back-to-back marathon training cycles, which is not something that I typically do. I know that my body in the past has a tough time responding to that, especially because when I run a marathon for the most part in my current life, um, you know, I 
I am racing the marathon. Like I am running it to PR. I really want to have a good experience and be able to run to my ability. And I know that we can't always do that, right? Um, Things come up, things happen in marathons. Maybe you do run them for fun or you're running a race that's not really like a PR course. We get older, we have kids, we age, we go through illness. You know, things happen where, of course, I expect not all marathons are going to be a PR But usually when I sign up to put my body through that type of training cycle and race, I really want it to count, you know, and for me personally, that means I want to race it. You know, I want to race it to the best of my ability and fitness level and really give it everything that I got. So (laughs) that being said, back to back to back to back to back marathon training cycles, it's going to be really hard to always squeeze the most out of yourself because you're not you're becoming imbalanced. You know, you're not working on the shorter distances. You're not giving yourself enough time to recover. You're not giving yourself enough time to make meaningful changes to a point. Maybe we can do back-to-back training cycles for a couple of years and continue to improve, but there's always going to be a place where we plateau or it starts to work even negatively against us. So just as someone who personally likes to do maybe one marathon a year instead of two. (laughs) Um, I knew that after doing, you know, the wine glass marathon and then Boston, you know, back to back and working on some of my imbalances along the way and getting PRs out of both of them um, that, you know, I needed to give my body an equal and opposite opportunity to recover and work on different things to kind of work out some of those imbalances. So I hadn't raced a half marathon um, or 10k or 5k or like any other distance, um, in a really long time. I don't think I've dedicated a training cycle for a half marathon for like at least four or five years. Um, which is a shame because the half marathon is actually my favorite distance. Like if I had to pick a race to do for the rest of my life, it would be the half marathon because it's long enough to feel like an endurance event that requires you to be dedicated to training. And I really like, 10, you know, to 13 mile ish long runs. Um, but it doesn't, for me, at least compared to the marathon, it doesn't take over your entire life and personality. (laughs) Like for me, I can still have some flexibility with my training and know that I'm still going to be able to finish at minimum, you know, the half marathon, it doesn't beat me up quite as much. So, and it's also not redlining like a 5k or a mile. (laughs) So I was like, you know what? I think it would be really fun to focus on the half marathon this fall. I know that'll help me for future marathon training cycles. And I just really miss that distance. So I really want to give it a go. I hadn't, you know, really gotten to test my fitness there in a long time. Um, If you follow me, you know, I did the Beach to Beacon 10K in Maine, um, which is, I believe, Joan Benoit Samuelson's baby of a race. Um, And that was in August of this year. And I kind of did it during the training cycle, just to kind of race the 10k. And I really wanted to do actually like that specific race because it's iconic. It's pretty local to me. And I got a bib. So I was really excited to do that. If anyone else raced that race, um, or has done it in the past, you know that it's in like peak heat and humidity season of New England. Um, And it's a pretty hilly course. So, you know, I didn't think it was going to be like a perfect, um, you know, show of my fitness, but I was really excited just to participate. Um, so I did pretty good in that race, had never run a 10k before. So well, or raced a 10k before, I should say. So it was an automatic PR. I think I ran 44 minutes and change. Um, 
And I finished thinking I need a lot more practice at these types of distances because I definitely have more gas in the tank, but I'm also terrified of redlining, like as a half and full marathoner at heart, going really fast for a short amount of time is like not something I'm super comfortable with or experienced with. So that was just a really good experience and telltale of things that I could work on. And kind of leading up to this half marathon, um, I thought about a couple things. So First off, um, I've been working with my coach, Kim Nadeau, for um, probably a year, actually. Now, I think I started working with her in November of last year. Um, so we've worked out a ton of imbalances in my strength program. She has made me you know, extremely resilient as a runner in terms of injury. And we also figured out that there were some structural things with my body that actually needed outside help as well, or else I was going to keep running into similar patterns of basically left glue and back plus right hamstring issues. Like pretty much every time I peak in a training cycle, um, one of those things, if not both start to bother me. And then it becomes a limiting factor in how I'm able to push myself. Um, it's something that honestly has happened so many times that it doesn't make me panic anymore. I just get really annoyed, (laughs) um, by it. So We kind of figured out some of those things with the help of um, chiropractors and other opinions as well. And we're still working it out. Um, But that was something that like just having her as a coach to put together my training and continue to help make me stronger. Like, you know, I've been doing the strength training. There's not much, you know, else I could do totally different there besides continue to build upon what I've been doing and make it specific for my body. But if you do want to know a little bit about the structure of my training, um, you know, obviously I highly recommend working with a coach. If you feel overwhelmed by putting together your own training cycle, um, as a coach, I was like, I know what to do, but like, I need someone else to do it for me because I do it for so many other athletes that I like, can't think outside the box for myself. Um, which is one of the things that prompted me to reach out to Kim a year ago. I talk a little bit more about that in my Boston marathon recap episode. If you want to go back and listen to more about my decision there. Um, but she's been great. I mean, I love working with her and love that she kind of thinks outside the box for me. Um, but in terms of my structure, obviously that's her business and secret sauce as a coach. Um, so go check her out, you know, on Instagram and stuff. I'm always sharing her posts. So chances are, you'll be able to see her in my feed. But um, my structure of my training, which works for me, is that I strength train probably three to five times per week. Um, Two of those are kind of more trunk core stability focused, I would say. Um, And then the other two sessions are your typical traditional strength training, heavier lifts, full body lifts, all planes of motion, single leg stuff, things I do with my athletes too. Um, I personally love strength training and I choose to love strength training because it helps me so much. Um, so that's definitely something that I incorporate into my training and it makes the biggest difference in the world. Um, so that's kind of what that part of my training looks like. It's definitely heavy on the strength side in terms of how often I'm strength training, but it's also very manageable in my opinion. Um, and it's how I train a lot of my athletes as well. And then For the running perspective, something that was new to me this training cycle, um, even working with the same coach, is that we did add in a sixth day of running. Um, I was running six days a week for probably the greater part of this training cycle, whereas typically I run four or five times a week in other training cycles um, and then did maybe like a day or two of cross training. And um, this is always something that like 
I don't really know like where my sweet spot is because I think as runners, like if we're adding more volume to our training or adding anything to our training, if it's strength training, if it's cross training, or if it's just different styles of running, like in terms of speed workouts or quality sessions, or if we're just adding more running in general, there's always going to be a period of time where you feel like you're out of your comfort zone because that's where the growth is happening. (laughs) Um, So I always kind of thought I'm good, like running four or five times a week. Like I know that it's not too much. I know that I can get a lot done doing four or five runs a week. I like having one or two days to not be running. It kind of makes my love for running greater. (laughs) Um, But she did have the six day and it was very small, you know, two or three miles. It wasn't anything ridiculous. And at first I was a little bit resistant to it just in my own head. Like she doesn't know this (laughs) if I'm, if she's listening to this, she'll be hearing this for the first time. Um, I was a little resistant to it in my own head because to be honest, um, vulnerability here coming out of the summer, um, I definitely knew I was doing a lot in terms of my life. Like I knew I was really doing a lot in business. I was really doing a lot in life. I was really doing a lot in my training. And whenever my stress levels kind of get to a certain threshold as someone with anxiety, um, my appetite sucks. (laughs) So that combined with heat and doing things that were above and beyond what I had done before was definitely really challenging in terms of being able to fuel my body well enough. And obviously you guys know me, like, you know, that I'm a fan of what my friend and dietitian colleague, Stevie Smith, who has been on this podcast before coins as the business feeding. I'm a very big fan of that. Um, and I can make myself eat, but when I feel like I'm doing that for every meal and every snack, every day of the week, all the time for weeks on end, um, you know, that that's a red flag. (laughs) There's something wrong. We're doing too much somewhere. Um, So I, you know, I did actually tell, I think my coach this at some point in August, because I was just feeling super overwhelmed. There was a lot going on. I was like, I think I just like need a second. I think I need some rest days. Like not because I'm even feeling like my runs are bad. Like my performance was fine. Um, It was more just because I was like feeling the, the, the simmering increase, if you will, the pot in the pan, um, the, the water in there was, was getting hotter. So Um, We actually did. We took like three days, I think, off. And I think I did a light run for like a day or two. Like I basically took a down week. Like if you look at my Strava, which you probably can't because I keep it private. So sorry. Um, Not sorry. But (laughs) anyway, is that it was like, you know, 30 to 40 mile weeks, 30 to 40 mile weeks, 30 to 40 mile weeks. And there was a week at like 20 miles. So it wasn't like we even had to take that significant (laughs) of a break, quote unquote. We just kind of backed off a little bit for a week around like mid August. And I felt so much better, so much better, way better. (laughs) Um, It honestly made a huge difference. So if you're like feeling that (laughs) in your training, or you know what I'm talking about, and you can relate to that, this is your extra nudge to be like, just take a couple days off, like you're going to feel so much better. And when I came back to running, like, you know, I didn't even take that time off of running, I just backed off like I did three or four mile easy runs for a week or no running at all. Um, and it was a week, it was seven days. It was not that big of a deal. Um, I got faster. I got my appetite back. I felt better. I was sleeping better. Like it just, when you catch it early, it makes a really big difference. Um, and that is true for so many different facets of running and nutrition. So when we did come back to that and we did slowly start adding in that six day of running at first, I got a little nervous because I was like, 
uh, you know, I kind of just got out of that rough spot. I don't want to get back there. But also the sports dietitian part of me was like, well, feel your body, you know, make sure you're eating enough, make sure we're scaling carbohydrates, you know, make sure we are, you know, forcing ourselves to eat a little bit. And you know what, it went fine. After three or four weeks of adding in that sixth day of running, um, I felt great. I felt like the sixth day of running was actually really productive. Like it kept my body happier um, because I was getting out and moving, which is really helpful for like my particular issues with my low back and whatnot. So it actually worked out well. Um, and I surprised myself, right? I got out of my comfort zone and was able to adapt to that new training stimulus. And I honestly really think it's helpful. I don't think it's necessary to be, you know, like a good runner or PR to do like a certain amount of days a week of running. Um, because I've seen people be very successful across the board. I think it depends on the person and your unique situation, but that actually went well for me. So in terms of training structure, that's kind of what I was doing. Um, never ran over like 42 miles a week, um, was pretty much in the thirties for the most part with a couple in the low forties, um, which is honestly very similar mileage to what I was doing for Boston training, pretty low mileage, right? Like for marathon training, quote unquote. Um, I think especially for what someone would think of for these times, like we think, Oh my God, they're, they're, they're fast times. They're Boston qualifiers or whatever, you know, your standard of fastest compared to where you currently are. Um, and we think that means a certain amount of mileage and it doesn't really necessarily mean that, <laughs> um, there's a lot of factors that go into what someone's capable of. So if you're like thinking you need to run 70 mile weeks in order to, you know, run a certain time, that may not be the case. So lower mileage just spread a little bit differently, of course, over the course of the week, my long runs were never over 13 miles, which was amazing. Um, that's kind of what I was looking for doing a half marathon in the fall versus doing another marathon is I'm like, my long runs are never going to be like longer than a movie, <laughs> you know? Um, like I can just go out. They're going to be like eight to 10 miles most weeks, maybe get up into the teens other weeks. And like, that's going to be good enough. And, and big and I had a lot of quality work <laughs> in those long runs. So they were rarely easy, steady state long runs. There were some practice paces in there and certain workouts that obviously Kim was in charge of. So um, that's kind of what the training looked like. And I know a lot of people were interested in learning about that. So I wanted to make sure I addressed it. Now, in terms of like some of my body stuff, like my body really held it together. Some of the chronic issues that I have because of like structural things with my body, um, what I notice is that each training cycle, even if they do flare up a little bit, I'm stronger. I'm able to bounce back and recover faster. And also it starts, it happens at faster and faster paces. So, you know, if it started to flare at like, say an eight minute mile a couple years ago, now it's not really flaring until I hit like a 640 mile. <laughs> so that's an improvement within itself. So if you're also someone who needs to hear, you know, about pain patterns, like they're not linear if you experience injury or pain as a runner, like get support, get the help you need, find answers, but also know that you can do all the right things and still experience this. It's just kind of being an athlete. It's part of it. Um, and it can really help to get support so that you're not feeling so panicky every time something like this happens. Like my heart goes out to you. Trust me. I, I feel you. Um, so in terms of training, that's kind of what the training looked like. 
I was able to scale my nutrition quite a bit. And, you know, any like appetite issues I was having really helped after a bit of a down period and an upscale in my nutrition. Um, And I've also had people ask me lately about like gut health. We had a whole episode on gut health and how it relates to underfueling being associated with GI symptoms with Kirsten Screen, who is a fellow dietitian and colleague of mine who is fabulous. Um, And I want to dive into that a little bit more too, because I think that whole situation I described in terms of my, you know, like appetite and stress, that is something I see in so many clients, but they let it go too far. And then we end up with chronic issues. So I do want to talk about that a little bit from just my personal story real quick. So functional testing is something that I'm starting to offer to more of my clientele, whether you're in my group program and you want to add it on with one-on-one consultation with my one-on-one clients and with students in my courses as well, who want to add on um, that experience. And GI map is one of the stool tests that I use and have been learning about. Um, in addition to Dutch test, which is a hormone test. Um, and I've done both of these on myself in the past, but, um, this is something that I actually used on myself too, during this period of time. And I could start to tell that my gut was getting a little bit stressed out, which made sense because my appetite was not where it should have been given the amount of energy I was burning. And again, some appetite suppression with stressful exercise is normal, but when it's all the time, every meal, every week, (laughs) that's not normal. Um, And you could actually start to see physiologically some of like the dysbiosis starting to happen. And I didn't really have anything clinically wrong, but I had, you know, done tests in the past. It can kind of compare some trends. Um, My inside tracker blood work results all looked good. So it wasn't yet touching my nutrient deficient or my nutrient status. And I wasn't getting super depleted. But again, these are things that are intuitive to me because I do this for a living and I've learned a lot about this and continue to learn a lot about this over the years of my professional experience um, and personal experience. And if you feel like you have some of these symptoms that I've talked about today and you're not really sure where to go, um, or if you did listen to that GI health episode um, with Kirsten, and it really resonated with you, you should really consider working with myself, with her, with someone like us who specializes in this and offers these services, because um, it can honestly be really life-changing. And sometimes it is as easy as scaling your training down for a few weeks and taking it easy. Um, And sometimes we have to take a longer amount of time off. Sometimes it just takes a longer amount of time to get out of it. And usually that has to do with how long you've been in it. (laughs) So I knew that I had done back-to-back marathon training cycles and gotten away with it and done well and supported myself well through them. But I knew that my body still deserved a break from that. Um, And I gave it that, but it still probably took a few months to really adjust and feel good. And I'm recording this the day after my half marathon. My appetite's great. I'm like not that sore. I sleep really well. I feel awesome. Like I can feel a really big difference compared to how I felt for that period of short time in August and compared to how I feel have felt in past training cycles too, when I was a newer dietitian or before I was even a dietitian. So again, long story long, if this resonates, do reach out to someone because it's really worth it. And I think it can be really helpful to see some of those, um, like, results in black and white. Um, Or in the case of all of those tests, it's probably like red and white. (laughs) Um, So if that's something that interests you, you can always reach out to me. And that's something that I offer. So okay, we've been talking, I've been talking for like over 20 minutes, and I haven't even gotten to race day yet. So let's, 
let's get to race week, shall we? But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor for this episode, which is Inside Tracker. I love having Inside Tracker as a sponsor of the podcast. I have been using Inside Tracker for I don't even know, three, four years now. Um, they have just been such a key cornerstone to me understanding more about my own body and being able to help my clients on a more deeper level live healthy, athletic lives and reach their athletic goals. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier longer. And they calculate your biological age, the rate at which you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age via their algorithm. And the thing I love the most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like nutrition, uh, supplementation if you have deficiencies and need a little bit of support there, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And I really love using Inside Tracker as a way to just check under the hood, you know, see how things are running um, when things are going well. And also if I'm not feeling my greatest and then be able to identify the root cause of why that is happening and put together a plan to feel better for myself and for my clients. So if you want to save 20% off on your next Inside Tracker purchase, you can visit the link in the show notes. All right, so let's talk about race week. So I kind of went into my taper, again, with some of those chronic things a little bit flared, was managing them, trying to go to chiropractor, do extra PT strength exercises at home, be mindful of it, use KT tape, all my tools, and things were going pretty well. I wasn't panicking. I was kind of like, all right, this is where I'm at. The hay is in the barn. Um, I did have the weekend before this race, um, I did have two weddings um, that my husband and I were both in. One of them was like more of an elopement ceremony. And then the other one was a very traditional wedding for four of our best friends um, over the course of that weekend. So, um, I mean, I won't lie to you guys. Like I did basically three hours straight of plyometrics and heels on the dance floor. One of the nights I woke up and I was, my quads were sore from that wedding. Like, and it was so fun. I have no regrets, but my quads were sore from that wedding for probably four days. Like I went hard. Um, I am absolutely that person at weddings and I have no shame about it. I love dancing. I love music. I love my friends. It was so much fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I think on my strength schedule that week, my coach Kim had put skip the plyometrics. Don't want to, you know, tweak anything, no reason to do them this week. And then I did three hours of plyometrics and heels at the wedding instead. So they, you know, no regrets. Um, but that happened. Um, and I signed up for this half marathon because I had actually done it last year with one of the friends who got married. Um, she wanted to break two hours in the half marathon. So I was like, I'll run with you. And I helped pace her at this race and she crushed it. Um, I do currently have a 100%, um, success track record for helping people break two hours in the half marathon, especially when I show up to pace them, just saying. Um, so that was super fun. And I was like, this race is so local. Like the logistics are easy. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful course. If you are ever up in New Hampshire and you want to do a half marathon or you're doing like a half marathon in all the States, like do the Seacoast half marathon in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. 
It is beautiful. Um, most beautiful course ever. Pretty flat, a couple rolling hills, nothing too crazy. It's in the end of October, which is absolutely beautiful in New England. Um, and yeah, they have like a really good feast at the end of the race. Um, and it's just really well done. So anyway, that's my two cents. So I was like, you know, I should come back and race this course. Like this would be a really good course to race because it's going to be low stress. So that's why I signed up for this particular race. And also because it wasn't a weekend where I was going to have weddings <laughs> or other things going on. Um, so that was why I chose this race. And what was also super fun is my husband was like, oh, I really want to do that race. Let's do it. So he signed up um, as well for this half marathon. And our two friends, um, two of the friends that got married um, over the weekend before, were like, oh, we also signed up for that race. We're running it together. And they actually live with us. So um, it was really fun. Our whole house went and like crushed this half marathon. Um, so, you know, we really showed up and took names. Um, but kind of going into the race, there was just a lot going on in my personal life with like family stuff. Um, and those weddings were before. So that was super fun. Like there, there are mostly good things, some stressful things, but just a lot going on the week of the race where I kind of honestly forgot that I was running a half marathon, let alone racing a half marathon, which is good, um, I guess, because I didn't have a chance to get stressed about it or think about it too much. I didn't even check the weather until the day before the race. Um, like that's how chill I was going into this race. Um, and I was just pretty confident because I was like, hey, my training cycle went really well. I accomplished things I had not yet achieved um, in terms of like tempo runs and paces and running six days a week. And I was like, I've already won. Let's go do the half marathon and see what happens that day. So if you can go into any race with that attitude, I highly recommend it. Um, because if you're overthinking it or getting stressed out about things you can't control, you're hurting yourself. <laughs> so, and I've done that before at races. I'm, I'm really over trying to do that at races because it, as someone with anxiety, it's just, it, I know it's not useful. Um, I have plenty of intrusive thoughts on my own. I don't need to also get race anxiety. So that was really cool to go into the race with that mindset. When I did check the weather the day before, it was going to be like 60 and sunny with no wind. And I was like, holy moly, that's perfect race weather. Thank you, half marathon gods. The last half marathon I did as a part of a training run for this race, it was gale force wind warnings because of Hurricane Ian left over. And it was like, the worst race ever. I was getting pelted with sand and 30 mile per hour headwinds. Like my entire body seized up and I felt like I just pulled every muscle in my leg. Like that was the one race where I was like, I regret finishing that race. I should have dropped out. It wasn't fun and it wasn't useful. So take what you want with that. So I was really pumped to see no wind. Honestly, if there had been gale force warnings again, I would have not run the race. Like it's just, that's just the experience I had at the one before. So um, which is another benefit of having a local race that if you drop out, it's not like you're losing a whole trip to a foreign place, like, or a marathon major experience. So sometimes it's just really nice to be able to show up to a local race with no stress, or be able to change your mind if you're like, hey, something's happening or the weather or whatever it is and do something different. What I did hear the day before the race from my chiropractor was that he said, um, what were his words? I told him what race I was running and he was like, oh, you know, it's a lot easier to try and PR in the half marathon when the half marathon isn't on a course that's 13.3 miles. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, it stopped being like USATF certified because it was a long course. And I was like, 
oh, well, crap. <laughs> um, you know, so I kind of had that in my mind. I know when like we run races, our GPS watches tend to measure the courses long. So I always tend to just like swallow that pill if I realize it's happening on the race and do my best to run the tangents. Um, I will say I tried really hard to run the tangents of this race knowing that. And I did get, I think, 13.27 um, on my watch for the for the whole course. So I was like, and it was a loop course um, that started and finished in a slightly different location. So I was like, I could see how it would be a little bit long because of the way the loops were. You couldn't make them shorter. But anyway, whatever. It's a local race. I wasn't really trying to qualify for anything. Like if you even, I had the New York City half marathon qualification standards in my head, which is 132 for my age, for my age group. Um, but it wasn't a New York city qualifying half marathon. Like you have to run a specific New York city based half marathon in order to qualify. So I was like, meh, whatever. It was more just like to have that goal achieved in my head rather than to actually give me formal race results to go and run with. So, um, I was a little disappointed to hear that, but I was like, meh, whatever. Um, so kind of getting into, the race, we carpooled with my friends, we and my husband, we got there in the morning, had a very smooth morning in terms of nutrition. I carb loaded for like probably one and a half days, realistically before this race, I kind of meant to do two. But again, I kind of kept forgetting I was racing. And I honestly didn't, I just didn't plan very well. There's just a lot going on that week. <laughs> um, but I did my best and did one and a half days of pretty intentional carb loading hit about 500 grams, um, especially the second day was very hydrated and just felt like that had gone really well. My gut was in a good place and everything went smooth in the morning. Bathroom went smooth. Warm up went smooth. Um, it starts at the Portsmouth High School. So I got to warm up on the track, which was actually super nice. It was really quiet. There was like some frost and mist coming off of the track. And there were a couple other runners out there. It was just kind of a cool vibe. Um, picked up our bibs the day before at our local running store. So that was really smooth. Um, so yeah, just kind of rolled up to the start an hour before used the bathrooms inside the high school, which were heated because they were inside the high school, which was amazing. Um, if anything, do the race for that because you get to go to an actual bathroom um, and then warmed up on the track and basically got ready. We actually were a little bit late to the start. They started it per my watch at 829 instead of 830. So I was like walking out of the high school to the start line um, because I wanted to stay warm for as long as possible because I didn't, they didn't really do like the throwaway clothes donation situation. If you threw away clothes, you were just littering. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to stay as warm as possible, especially given my hamstring crankiness that had been happening. And um, I was like, oh my God, they already like the gun went off already. So I kind of jogged like up the hill and through the start line. So I started the race probably around like the 10 minute per mile pacer. Um, and I knew my goal was going to be around like seven ish minute miles. So I was like, well, I did that. Oh, well. Um, so I did my best not to bob and weave through the first mile. Um, but it was honestly pretty hard not to do that at least a little bit just because people were significantly slower than I knew I wanted to be. And in a marathon, I honestly wouldn't have worried about it at all because the first mile of a marathon, like it's a really small percent of your race. <laughs> like, but for the first mile of the half marathon and knowing that I wanted to get into my groove, um, I, I did my best to get around people without wasting too much extra energy. And I thought I did a pretty good job there. Um, 
My first mile split was, I believe, seven minutes and 11 seconds. So I was like, okay, started off conservatively like I wanted to, um, kind of got shot out of a cannon a little bit in terms of trying to be calm at the start and not feel like I started late. Um, but it was chip time, so I wasn't too worried about that. And I was like, cool, that's conservative. I'm not going out too fast. Perfect. Um, the Portsmouth um, Seacoast Half Marathon is relatively flat. There's a couple rolling hills. Um, there is a hill in like the second mile that goes down pretty significantly. Um, you lose like 36 feet, something like that. So, you know, it feels like a nice downhill. And then you kind of cruise into Rye, New Hampshire, which is along the seacoast. So you get to run along the ocean for a little bit. There was no wind. Um, that was incredible because I've literally never run there before when there was no wind, um, just coming off of the ocean. And that was just really cool. So got into my groove, remember to take my first gel. I passed a couple people. I was also very aware of passing people because I was like, I don't typically want to be passing people this early in a race. Like I should be kind of cooling my jets a little bit and just settling into the pace and then passing people at the end of the race. But I also knew I was still kind of trying to catch up to the people who are running the same speed as me. So I knew I was passing people, but that they were probably running significantly slower and had different goals for their race. So I passed a couple people, a couple, um, men, a couple women, a couple people in costumes because it was the day before Halloween, which was super fun. Um, I passed a woman who was walking. They let people who want to walk the half marathon start a half hour early. So we passed a couple walkers and one woman was walking, holding like a rainbow peace flag. And I um, gave her a fist pump and was like, love your flag. And she was like, thank you. Good luck. And I was like, yes, I love this community. Um, <laughs> and then I um, took my gel which my first gel was a Huma Plus gel. Uh, I was also carrying a handheld water bottle of two scoops of Scratch Labs Hydration Strawberry Lemonade. And fueling was going pretty well. And I started to kind of fall into what I thought was reasonable goal pace, but could be a little bit aggressive. Now, to kind of back up a little bit, going into this half marathon, I mostly just wanted to like PR, like I wanted to dedicate a training cycle to the half marathon. I wanted to, you know, achieve what my current fitness level, you know, was going to allow me to achieve and just build off of that. I thought since my last half marathon had been four years ago, and it was in the middle of a marathon training cycle. So I wasn't really like trying to PR during that half marathon. It just kind of happened. Um, I think I ran a 137. And that was, again, four years ago, that's like a 725 minute pace on like a course that's very much like 13.09, like it's perfect 13.1 course. Um, and I didn't really know what my goal time was. Like I'm someone who likes to run to my fitness level and not put a goal time on it to basically give me false hopes that I can achieve something that's unrealistic, but also not put a limit on myself. Um, and my coach, Kim, is very much in alignment with that, which I love her for. That's why I think we work really well together because she gives a lot of my runs off of effort and doesn't give me specific paces unless she does want me to hit something specific. And it's always very realistic. Um, so I thought reasonably I would at least PR in this half marathon. And on a very good day, I thought I'd probably run between a 130 and like a 133. Um, I was like, I think that's probably what I'm capable of, like just 
the training that I did, I started to feel like I was finding those sub seven minute miles, which is around a 132 half marathon, a little bit easier, but they still weren't like something I could just set and forget. And if you've done enough like training at tempo miles and paces, you kind of know what I'm talking about, where you can just be like, okay, I'm going to go find this pace. And then I can just kind of stay here. And it starts to get a little hard at the end, but like, I don't have to constantly feel like I need to check in with the pace or, you know, put the gas back on, or I'm going too fast and slow down. So I was starting to get that, but I was like, I don't think I'm quite there yet where I'm confident I can run a full half marathon at sub seven minute miles. But I do think I can confidently run a full half marathon around seven minute miles where maybe I'm a little under for some and maybe a little over for some. My coach Kim was like, you can run a 129 for sure. You're capable of that, which are six, 650 minute pace. And I was like, okay, I believe you. Like, I do think I'm capable of that. I was like, but I know like my training and I know myself and I know that I'll probably do that next time. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen this time, (laughs) Um, but I'll do my best. Like I did want to give that a shot. So I did kind of go out with that in mind. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to run like a 650 average minute pace on this course for a half marathon, like my first couple of miles through 10K should probably be like in the 650s. Like I shouldn't be dipping under. I probably shouldn't be right at 650. I should probably be like somewhere between 650 and seven minute miles. So that's what I did. Now I got to mile five or six of this race and I was like, all right, like, how are we doing? And I, I had had some patches of like, wow, this feels kind of fast already um, during that race. And I also had some patches of like, oh, actually I'm flowing now. Like I feel okay. Maybe I can push it later. Who knows? So knowing that I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to negative split because of how I started this race. I think, you know, when this is in my fitness capability, I'll easily be able to negative split, but I have a feeling that maybe this isn't quite in my wheelhouse today and I'm going to be able to finish. Okay. But maybe I need to back off a little bit so that I don't explode. (laughs) Um, I've run enough half and full marathons to know what that feels like where you go out to plan, but then your plan just is a little too ambitious for that day. And that is okay. You don't need to scrap the plan. You just need to adjust it. (laughs) So that's something that I did at the Philadelphia marathon in 2018. I think I went out according to my plan and what I thought I was capable of. And I realized probably around the halfway point that that was a little too aggressive for that day. So I backed off a little bit and I didn't totally explode and I still finished pretty strong. So I was like, I think that's one of the days I'm going to be having today, (laughs) Um, just based off of how I feel. Like it has nothing to do with my fueling. It has nothing to do with, you know, my, my training or my taper or that anything went wrong. It's just that I know that like an eagle is an eagle for a reason. It's if the stars align perfectly and I'm just not quite feeling that today, but I'm not going to give up. Um, So that was kind of my thought process going between like miles five and six. So Um, I passed this woman who I had been following and trying to catch for a while. And because I I think she slowed down a little bit. Um, But I passed her and I was like, okay, like, I got to quit passing people because I think like I'm kind of in my wheelhouse now with people who are going to be finishing a similar time to me. Like, and I got to not jump the gun too soon. And how I like to break down a half marathon is I was like, all right, we like to do, you know, through 10k. um, And then reel in mile 10, um, and then just finish with whatever you have left. (laughs) So 
that's how I like to break down the half marathon. So I was like, you know what, get to 10 K take your next gel. We're going to be coming away from the ocean at that point into a different part of the course and see how you feel. So I took uh, a more encaffeinated gel, uh, around mile six or seven and, um, Morton, I don't want to scare you off from ever potentially sponsoring this podcast episode. I think your products are great. I think they work great. Obviously, people have broken world records with them. But the texture for me is a little tough. Um, And the flavor of the caffeinated gel is a little tough. And when you are running to your max potential, it's all a little tough sometimes. So um, I audibly gagged on that gel. I got half of it down and I gagged and then I made myself finish it and I got it all down. I was really happy about that because I was like, hey, this is 100 milligrams of caffeine. Like this would be really useful right now if you could get this down and not have to take a different gel instead. Um, So I got it down. It was very helpful. I gagged audibly. There were people around. They probably thought I was having an event Um, or they were like, this is why I don't fuel. But I got it down and I had practiced this all the time in training every week and it was always fine. So honestly, I just think it was another sign that I was approaching, maybe have gone a little too fast for my fitness that day. (laughs) Um, and I got it down. I sipped my scratch labs out of my bottle. And I also noticed at this point that one, my bottle was starting to bother me a little bit. And again, I've practiced with this bottle filled to this capacity at this pace in training before, and it's never bothered me. Um, but I had been trying to switch my bottle every mile or two different hands. And I noticed that when I carried it on the right side, like my stride was just a little bit off. And I think that has to do with the fact that um, I had been having like some structural issues on that side. And it was just a little bit off. So I did hold it on the left side for a lot of the race. And I think it just started to fatigue a little bit, only being on one side. Um, So I was like, well, you can always ditch the bottle past the halfway point if you really feel like you want to. There are some aid stations. Then I noticed when I passed an aid station that they had plastic cups and I hate drinking out of plastic cups. I actually even grabbed a cup and tried to drink out of it and got 0% of the water in my mouth. So I was like, okay, maybe we hold on to the bottle a little bit longer um, because that's going to be the path of least resistance here. And the sun was out and there was no wind and I had dressed appropriately, but I also felt that the sun was beating on me and I was like, I need to keep drinking. So I also checked in with my body at the halfway point of the race after gagging on the Morton gel. And I was like, actually my hamstring feels great. Like it's not bothering me at all. None of my issues are bothering me. So I was like, that's a really good sign. What I did start to feel is that my quads were fatiguing and my feet weren't popping off the ground anymore. Like they were at the beginning of the race. And again, I was like, well, we're halfway through a half marathon. It's supposed to start to feel hard now. Like, that's okay. Don't, you know, put too much emotion into that and just do what you're capable of. That is one of my biggest mantras that I just, it really works well for me is stay within yourself. You don't have to do anything that you're not capable of. You only have to do what you're capable of. You have to do exactly what you've practiced in training. You don't have to do anything above and beyond that because that's your best, right? that's what you're capable of. So at this point in the race, it started to feel hard. Um, I did have, I think one or two guys pass me. Um, I had passed one of them and then he passed me and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I do think I'm slowing down a little bit. Like I, again, I went out and I went for it. (laughs) Um, and then I adjusted, so I didn't blow up. So, um, that started to happen. There were a couple rolling hills of the course, 
And I, again, was just starting to feel a lot of significant fatigue in my quads. And I was like, oh, my feet are popping off the ground. Like this is getting harder to maintain this pace. But I reeled in mile eight, which I always feel is a significant landmark of the half marathon, because if you can reel in mile eight, you can reel in mile 10, and then you only have a 5k left. (laughs) That's my mentality, at least. Um, And uh, another woman passed me who ran a lot like Des Linden. She looked so much like Des Linden from behind. So I pretended like I was chasing Des Linden um, (laughs) for a couple miles. And she was like gone, like she was out of my sights. Um, I think I later learned she was in her fifties and she's freaking awesome. So Des London, that doesn't mean that you look like you're in your fifties. It's just this woman ran like you from behind. Um, (laughs) so that was really cool. But anyway, she passed me, she was gone. I was like, Oh, let me try to keep her in my sights. Like she looks really strong. She looks awesome. Um, she looks like she's having a good day. And then she was just like gone. I was like, okay, well maybe not. Um, good for her. And then I was like, all right, this is starting to feel really hard. At this point, my pace is probably around seven minute to 7.05 minute miles. So I was like, I'm still like doing great. Like I'm still crushing it. It's just, you know, going to be probably a, be- a beagle kind of day um, in terms of what we thought I could do on a perfect day versus this is probably realistically what I thought I was capable of. And I reeled in mile 10, um, which if you're familiar with this course, or if you just are familiar with the area, you pass the Wentworth by the sea around mile eight, which is a huge, um, resort on the, like on the Bay area, um, of Newcastle, which is a beautiful town, um, with a lot of really expensive homes on the water with boats. There's like yachts parked at the Wentworth. It's just really beautiful. I thought how nice it would be if I just like pulled off and got a drink at the bar at the Wentworth and asked Connor to come pick me up after he was done running. Um, but I kept going <laughs> and then we kind of came through Newcastle. I ditched my bottle. So I took my last gel, which was a raspberry human gel. Um, and I got that down. Okay. And I took some sips of, of my bottle and I was like, you know what? We're at mile 10. I reeled in mile 10. Like this is the good stuff. And I'm starting to feel like I don't need my bottle anymore. And I think if I just didn't have it, I would finish strong. So I was like, you know what? Nothing in here is important. I ditched it at a little school that is in Newcastle. And I was like, I can come back and get that later, actually, um, if it's still there. And I pressed on. And then there was a bit of a hill on the course. Mile 10 was kind of where I was making those decisions of like, man, this is really hard. Like I'm slowing down. I can tell I'm slowing down. The fuel is also kicking in though. So I don't, I'm not giving up. I'm just going to keep moving forward and do what I can do for the day. Mile 10 was a 726. That was my slowest mile, but it still wasn't bad. Like it was still around PR pace um, for the half marathon. And then after mile 10, I was like, well, I reeled in mile 10. There's a 5K left. And my fuel kicked in from taking it around mile nine. And I caught up to one of the women who had passed me, not the Des Linden woman, she was gone, <laughs> but I caught up to another woman who I had passed by the ocean. And then she had passed me again by the Wentworth. And then I kept her in my sights and I caught her on a hill. Um, and I was like, you know what? Let me try and reel her in. Like she looks really strong. Let me try and see if I can run with her, like for the last 5K of this race. And I started to feel like I was back in a flow state. I was like, okay, I actually feel good. Like my quads are popping back off the ground again. Like this is good. My hamstring's still not bothering me. My hip feels good. Like let's go. Like I actually have some juice left in the tank. And my biggest takeaway from this podcast episode is that this has happened to me so many times, like during a race, 
um, whether or not the pace reflects it or not, just this is how it can feel sometimes. You can have rough patches, especially for the half or full or ultra marathon. And it doesn't mean your race is over. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel good again at another point during the race. So when you're having a rough patch, one of the biggest things that I do is I kind of recognize the thoughts <laughs> that tend to come with a rough patch, which, which are usually, oh my God, slow down, drop out. This is terrible. I hate running. Quit the marathon. Quit the half marathon. Don't do this again. This sucks. This is painful. I kind of view those as intrusive thoughts. As someone who deals with anxiety, <laughs> um, I have plenty of those to kind of recognize them when they're happening. So when that starts to happen on a race course, I'm kind of like, oh, this is a rough patch, intrusive thoughts. We're going to park those because they're not productive. And we're going to do what we're capable of, <laughs> um, which is usually more than we think we're capable of. And that typically boils down to moving forward and not giving up. So that's kind of what I tell myself is move forward, don't give up, move forward, don't give up when those thoughts start to happen. So I can park them and kind of cut them off in their tracks because I know they're not productive and they don't serve me well. And if I start harping on them too much, they're going to come to fruition <laughs> um, because that's how brain anxiety for me works. Um, and I'm like, nope, nope. We're just going to do what we're capable of and move forward and adjust if needed. But like, we only have to do what we're capable of. So at that point, I'd gotten to mile 10 and I was like, boom, out of the rough patch. And now we just have a 5k left. <laughs> so I reeled in this woman and I passed her. And to be honest, um, the, the Hamilton soundtrack was playing in my ears at this point. And I was like, really jamming to that and just excited that I was getting out of the rough patch. Um, and she said something to me when I passed her. I don't know what it was. I think she said, you caught me or something like that. And I was just like, you look great. Good job. Like, let's finish together. Um, and I was, I, whenever I can talk at the end of a race, like in my head, I'm like, these words are not going to come out right, but they always sound pretty good. I'm always like kind of surprised. I'm like, wow, I sound way less tired than I am. Um, which means I have more in me. <laughs> so that's kind of what I said to her. Um, and we kind of kept going. She probably was behind me within her sights for like a mile or so. Um, and the end of that course finishes on like a bit of a hill. Like it's kind of a mean, it's kind of like mean, if you don't know about the hill, you're like, like that hill can really break you. But if you know about the hill, you're like, oh, this actually isn't that bad of a hill. Um, it's really not a significant hill. I think it was 52 feet of elevation gain around mile 13. Um, so I actually, you know, I was like, you know what, Holly, you're good on hills. <laughs> That's what I told myself. And I was like, and you're almost there. We reeled in another mile. Um, at this point, I definitely noticed that my watch was beeping like a solid quarter of a mile before I got to mile markers. Um, so I was like making a mental note just for fun to like make sure I look down at miles 13.1 because that would be much earlier than the finish line just to see what my watch said before, you know, finishing kick. And um, yeah, I passed a guy on the hill. He said something along the lines of like, you're doing great. And then he like growled. And I think it was because I said, let's go finish strong. <laughs> and I think it was like, it sounded like it was a friendly, productive growl. Like he was just, he just needed to get that out to get up the final hill, if that makes sense. Um, and I basically <laughs> passed him kind of chuckled at that, looked down at my watch. I saw it said 132. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Um, 
and finished with a little bit of a sprint down the last finishing stretch, which is very much a downhill. Um, I believe it's like negative 20 feet in like a quarter of a mile downhill. So just to kind of like recap what those rough patch mile splits looked like compared to um, the first like 10K was mostly sub seven minute miles around like 6.53, 6.59, 6.56. 6. Then I kind of got into the low seven, 7.04, 7.06, 7. And then mile nine was when it started to get hard. It was 7.16. Mile 10 was 7.26. Mile 11 was 7.17. And then I got a seven minute mile at mile 12 and a 7.05 for the final stretch up that, that hill. And then my finishing pace was like 630. Um, so again, like I was not looking at my watch through the rough patch. Whenever I start to feel bad, I don't look at my watch because if I had looked at my watch at mile 10 and I was feeling bad and I was feeling like a failure and I saw a pace that was slower than I wanted it to be, it didn't matter how slow, like if it was just like a couple seconds versus like 10, 20 seconds in this case, like that would have just fed the negative thought and I probably would have threw in the towel. So for me, what really helps me is if I feel like things are hard or I'm in a rough patch, I recognize that, oh, this is a rough patch, intrusive thoughts, parking those, only focusing on moving forward and doing what I'm capable of and all the positive mantras. And don't look at your watch. <laughs> um, that's when I'm like, okay, time to run off feel because this feels hard, but it's also supposed to feel hard. So when I got to mile 10, and I ditched my bottle, I was like, this is supposed to feel hard. Go. <laughs> um, lean into it feeling hard. I think if we as runners are always expecting the last stretch of a race to feel easy or to feel like we're finishing really strong, we're going to be disappointed and set ourselves up for failure. Because when you start to feel like it's getting hard, which it will always feel like it's going to start to get hard, especially if you are trying to race to your potential, then that's a threat because you're not expecting it to feel hard. <laughs> and a threat is going to basically open your brain to the idea of quitting or more intrusive thoughts. If you expect it to hurt or expect it to feel hard, when it does, you're going to be like, well, here we are exactly where I thought we would be like, let's keep going. You know, it's not a threat. It's not surprising. So you can kind of manage it a little bit better. So that's kind of how I like to think of it. So I didn't look at my watch because I was like, that's not going to be productive. <laughs> if I expect to hang on like and finish and again, do what I'm capable of, it doesn't matter what my watch says. Like if I'm doing what I'm capable of and I know what that feels like, whether it's slower or faster than I think it should be, it kind of is what it is. So what's the use of looking at my watch? <laughs> I'm not someone who gets motivated by like seeing a pace. Uh, so I can very much be demotivated though by seeing a pace. So didn't look at my watch and was able to finish faster um, than I did in that rough patch and come out of it. I finished. Um, the course was a little long, like I said, in, um, you know, it's 13.27. And my finishing time officially was a 133.48, which was honestly around where I thought I was going to finish um, per my assessment of my training and where I felt like I was going to be at. I think I probably could have gone a little faster um, had I not had that rough patch. And just like, again, hindsight's 2020, right? Like knowing what I was capable of 
and what my race was, I think I could have gotten maybe another 30 seconds out of myself if I had started a little bit more conservatively and saved some of those sub seven minute miles, which were reaching a little bit to the end of the race. Um, that's how I like to race. But again, I didn't really know where I was going to be. So based off of my plan and my coach's plan and what we thought I was capable of, I was like, you know what, I, I just got to let me just go for it. I don't usually, you know, I don't do that very often. So I was like, you know, what do I have to lose? Let's just go for it. So that's the only thing I would have maybe changed, like with hindsight, doing what I did during this race, I wouldn't have changed anything because I think I executed it very well. Um, but in hindsight, knowing where my fitness was at, I was like, yeah, I probably could have gone off a little bit more conservative and then finished in a negative split. And it might've even been the same time. It just would have felt a little bit better, <laughs> um, which is what I did at the Boston Marathon. Um, but anyway, I was really excited with that. I was like, cool, PR, four or five minute PR, depending on what time you look at. And that's awesome. Um I felt pretty good crossing the finish line, didn't throw up, which was good. Uh, I didn't think I was going to throw up, but um, after gagging on that Morton gel, I was like, okay, clearly like I'm, you know, getting a lot out of myself today. Um, and then I kind of hung around the finish area because I was like, you know, Connor's probably going to be coming in pretty soon. Um, Connor did come in very soon. I was on the um, physical therapy table that they had set up, just getting my hamstrings stretched and assessed by the chiropractor that was there and physical therapist, which was awesome. I love that they had that at the finish line. Um, and they called Connor's name and I was like next to the finish line on a table and I was like, go Connor. And he crossed, um, I believe in 141 or 142, something like that, which was a PR for him. And he kind of had a, um, not super complete training cycle. He had just some issues with, um, his, like chronic pain patterns that he actually started following my strength program for. And he said it helped him a ton. Um, and he actually is doing really well today and isn't that sore. So, um, that's really exciting. And he was like, strength training is definitely a thing that I need to keep doing in a specific pattern for runners. Um, so not to toot my own horn there, but that was exciting. I was just happy to be able to help him in any way that I could. And he PR'd. So that was really exciting. Um, and then we kind of just, you know, waited around the finish line, um, went back to the car, got protein shakes, got some Gatorades, vitamin waters, snacks, got warm layers on, and then watched our friends finish. And they did really great. Also, um, I want to brag about one of my friends. She ran her first half marathon last year. I think it was last year. And she did like a trail race half marathon, but it was like a trail half marathon. That's like up a mountain. <laughs> it's like a really hard course. Um, so I was like, Oh my God, like this race on the roads is going to be so different. Um, and she had a really great time out there too. So just really fun to be part of the running community. Um, and then I got a text with my official time and it told me I won my division. So that was cool. I won my age group. Um, I was ninth overall female, um, running a 133. So really fast women on the seacoast who came to this race. And like I said, I won my age group. Um, none of the women who were faster than me were younger than me, which is awesome. They were in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s even. Um, the woman that I had passed and, you know, kind of said, good job, like you look good around mile 11 to um, who I didn't, she didn't catch me again. I learned that I think she finished one or two places after me and she was in her sixties running like a one thirty-five half marathon. That is insane. That is so fast. Um, 
And like, I just, I don't know. I find that really inspiring um, to see like, you don't, you know, age is just a number. If you do the work and put things in and prioritize it and things go well for you, like you can absolutely keep getting faster. You can absolutely keep being competitive with yourself and have a really good race day. So I don't know. I just was like tickled by that. I I thought it was freaking awesome. (laughs) Um, And that's basically a recap of this race overall. Super happy with it. Obviously, like would love to improve, you know, even further. And I'm just really excited to get more experience with those sub seven minute miles um, so that I can continue to become a stronger runner um, in all of the distances. And I want to remind you guys, like, I think I started running seven years ago. Um, My first half marathon was like so much fun. I loved it. I think I ran a 205 or a 204, something like that, just over two hours. Um, and you can absolutely keep getting faster. Like if you put in solid training cycles, if you prioritize your nutrition, your recovery, you do the speed work, you run your easy runs easy, you sleep enough, and you just keep getting those low-hanging fruits to line up over time, like you can absolutely improve in this sport. It's one of the things I love the most about it is that you basically do get in what you put in. (laughs) Um, A lot of sports are not like that because maybe they're team-based. So you're relying on other people or they do require more of like a skill set that takes longer to finesse. Um, But with running, you can basically keep improving no matter your age and improving doesn't always need to be time on the clock either. That can mean a lot of things. So Anyway, the half is still my favorite distance is great. I woke up today. I can go up and down stairs. Like I'm not completely destroyed. I don't know if that means I should have pushed harder or if it's just, this is a half marathon and not a full marathon. You don't need to be completely destroyed for a week. Um, but it was a ton of fun and I'm looking forward to my next marathon training cycle, which will be the Boston marathon in 2023 and maybe a half marathon along the way. We'll see. But before that, we have a bit of an off season this winter. And that brings up that I wanted to mention at the end of this podcast episode, my new program that I am starting on November 30th, it will be six weeks long, and it is called off season. And this is to help you guys capitalize on your off season. I talked to so many runners about this um, all the time runners, you know, we're thinking so hard about our goal race. And then when it's over, we're like, oh no, what do I do now? You know, what do I do with my nutrition? I'm afraid that I'm going to keep overeating. I'm afraid to keep eating this many carbohydrates. I don't know what my goals are. I kind of want to work on strength, injury prevention, speed work, body composition. That's what I hear often about the off season, but there's never a lot of direction um, that I see in a lot of other programs out there to really focus on this really awesome period of time where you have a lot of uh, room for growth, right? Like our off season shouldn't just be like us taking a bunch of time off and, you know, feeling like we're digging ourselves into a hole. I mean, sometimes we do need to take a bunch of time off and that's necessary, obviously, but it can be productive. We can work on different things. And my attitude about the off season is that if you hate the off season and you are constantly trying to just rush back into a training cycle, you're doing the off season wrong. (laughs) So I really wanted to create a program that would help you understand exactly how to adjust your nutrition to support your off season goals, maintain a good body image and relationship with food, talk a little bit about body composition and what reasonable expectations are and how to adjust your nutrition to support whatever your goals are in the off season so that you can come back into your next training cycle 
with an edge that you want to keep building. There are a couple different payment plan options. Um, there is a limit to the amount of people I'm going to allow in this group so that we can give everyone space and time for questions. And you have the option to add on an Inside Tracker Ultimate Test and one on one consultation with me to help you fill in your micronutrient gaps during the off season too, because this is a really good time to do blood work. I'm doing my own test next week, two weeks after my race. So if that's something that you wanna add on, there is an option to do so. And in addition to that, you can also add on my off-season strength training program. Um, I have three different levels of off-season strength training programs. You would get access to all of them by subscribing to my app, and then we can discuss which one would make the most sense for you. There's a level one, like body weight, equipment-less workout option. There is a intermediate level two option that you need dumbbells and bands for and some basic equipment. And then option three, it's good to have a fully stocked gym with barbells, free weights, dumbbells, bands, a pull-up bar, et cetera. There's three days a week lifting split into upper body, lower body, and full body lifts. And again, this is something that you can add to this program that is totally optional if you want the exercise and strength component, which is something that I recommend doing in the off season. Um, if you want to add that on. So I'm going to leave some links in the show notes so that you guys can learn more about that program. But again, that's six weeks long, um, six uh, weeks long, seven live calls, all of them are recorded in case you can't make it, you get lifelong access to the recordings. I'm super excited to get started on November 30th. And there will be more information coming on that. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes to sign up for that. And until next time, happy running. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.